0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and uh, later in the show, we're going to learn about what it's going to take to preserve the live music ecosystem past this pandemic. But first, it's time for another round of buried Treasures, Jim. Greg, we love this show. We collect dozens
2: of uh, bands that we're interested in uh, flying under the mainstream radar between each uh, episode of Buried Treasures, and we love to share them with our listeners. I am going to lead us off with a Brooklyn-based soul diva named Betty Smith. Uh, She has an album coming out at the end of this month, The Good, The Bad, and The Betty. It is produced by Matt Patton of the Drive-By Truckers. It's got guests uh, such as Luther Dickinson of North Mississippi All-Stars and the Truckers Patterson Hood. But the star of this show, make no mistake, is Betty Smith. She grew up in Bed-Stuy, listening to gospel music and loving the earthly soul that was sung on street corners as well. She has got a voice that shows her age, her wisdom, the life she has lived, which is absolutely just a powerhouse instrument. That's a cliche when you're talking about soul uh, divas. But man, you, you listen to this and it will blow you away. I'm a sinner is one of the songs coming out on this album. We all are, uh, but when Betty sings it, uh, you better believe it's true and that there's redemption right around the corner. This is Betty Smith, I'm a Sinner, my first buried treasure. Oh, is
1: The Sinner from Betty Smith. Where has this woman been all my life, Greg? I I tell you, I love this record, too. Uh, It was on my list of relatively unsung artists. And Betty Smith is a great example, Jim, of the type of artist I'm going to talk about today. Because I want to focus on, when we talk about buried treasures, people often assume it's just an act that is brand new and that nobody has heard of. What I'm going to focus on today in my buried treasures picks is acts that have been around for a number of years, in some cases decades, without uh, any widespread recognition or a lack of knowledge about what they may be doing currently. Like they had some past uh, successes, but now people have sort of forgotten about them, but they're still doing great work. It's like that, That are they still alive? Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the first group I'm going to uh, Focus on is a, is a band out of Norway. Cocktail slippers. I just love that name. Mm. Cocktail slippers. I want some cocktail <laughs> slippers. You know, um, they are five women from Oslo, Norway. Uh, the names of the band members alone uh, deserve recognition. We've got Rocket Queen on guitar. <laughs> we've got Belladonna on drums. You know, we've got Sugar Cane on bass. I mean, how can you go wrong with band members with names like that? Founded in two thousand one. Uh, they released a series of albums initially, and I remember seeing them at South by Southwest circa 2010. I thought, they're, they're pretty cool. Um, but th- in the last six, seven years, they haven't really done much at all. Uh, and I thought they'd sort of dropped off the face of the earth. And lo and behold, this year they have resurfaced with a couple of singles, and I'm going to play one of them. Um, what I love about this group, uh, they're unabashed fans of American rock music, and especially Uh, rock music as made by women uh, through the decades. I mean, they've got those girl group harmonies but with a little snarl attached to it. Uh, They've got those uh, punk-pop melodies in the mold of a Blondie or a Go-Go's. And some of the guitar crunch, you know, I'm thinking of somebody like Joan Jett. So they they obviously know their history um, and they're bringing it forward in a way that speaks to today. Uh, Here's Cocktail Slippers with a track called Like a Song Stuck in My Head on Sound Opinions. Stuck in my head, cocktail slippers. That song does a trick for me. I am humming that song yeah. several times a day. It just pops into my head. I can't. I can't get it out of there. And it's I got sucked
2: thing. into their whole streaming playlist. Uh, everything they've done. Uh, what you said, Go Go's, and uh, they do have that sort of effervescent pop. But the Go Go's before they had the multi-million selling right. debut album when they were still punk rock. Right, yeah. My next uh, uh, Buried Treasure pick uh, started with an email from somebody who writes me and says, you know, oh, you were talking about The Velvet Underground and Nico. You gotta listen to this. And, uh, you know, instantly my skepticism alarm is like, yeah, right. You know, it's like, mm. you like the Beatles? Maybe you'd like this band, right? And that promise was right. There is an element of the Velvet Underground when Nico was singing with them, both uh, melodic pop, mysterious, sultry, uh, foreign, coming from an alien world, uh, but also, uh, you know, dark and sinister at the same time. Um, I had one track called Angel. It's by a band uh, called O'Hara. Greg, there is three sentences— On all of the internet about this band. That's it. (laughs) Really? I've gleaned the following facts. This is a husband and wife duo, Lawrence and Denma O'Hara. They met via the incredible surrealistic film director, Alexander Jodorowsky. I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, an EP coming. I've since heard another track, and that's fantastic, too. Uh, They are jointly based in London and Los Angeles, and that is everything I know. But when a song is as good as Angel, you don't got to know anymore. (laughs) This is a great tune by a band called O'Hara on Sound Opinions.
3: Angel smile or cry with you. Angel live or die with you. Angel fall
2: or fly with you. Angel kiss the sky with you. Angel fly high with you. Angel touch and lie with you. Angel turn the sky with you. Angel deep like a mile with you. Angel up and sigh with you. Angel heal and try with you. Angel. Natural high with you, Angel feel the blue with you, Angel sing the blues
4: with you, Angel kiss the planet with you, Angel don't look back 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 Fall, fly with you, kiss the sky with you, fly. I with you, touch and lie with you, down the sky
2: with you, deep like a mile with you. F and sigh with you, feel and try
4: with you, natural. I with you, feel the blue with you, sing the blue with you, kiss the planet with you. Don't look back, don't look back, don't look back.
2: Angel by
1: O'Hara. I cannot wait for that EP. It's apparently dropping soon. You know, uh, without knowing the backstory that you just told about the Velvets connection, when I was listening to this track, because you told me, here's something I'm going to highlight, I wanted want to prepare for it, and I wrote down in my notes, literally, these words, female singer like Nico rises from the dead, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in yes. the middle in the middle of the song, you just hear this voice, and you go, where have I heard that voice before? It, it, it was kind of cool to, to have that moment in that song. We had Ian MacKay on the show talking uh, about Fugazi, his great band, in relation to a classic album dissection yeah. that we were doing. And Ian never mentioned once, in the course of a, like an hour-plus conversation, very nice man, uh, never met, once mentioned that, oh, by the way, I've got a new album out, boys, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this this is a typical, you know, rock musician shtick, you know. No, Self-promotion telling... no. is not part of his vocabulary. Yeah. So, a few weeks after Ian's on the show, lo and behold, a new Ian Mackay record shows up. Kariki uh, is the name of the band. It is a collaboration with his longtime partner, drummer Amy Farina, and... Fugazi bassist Joe Lally is also on this record. So it's a trio. And I got around to listening to it a few months ago. You know, amid all this corona stuff, we didn't have a chance to uh, really review the record on the show, but I want to give it some shine right now because this is by no means uh, a man cashing in on his past. I mean, I don't think he knows the meaning of the word cashing in anyway. No, But at the same time, it is very much a, a sense of a man continuing to push the boundaries of what he can do in the bass, drums, guitar, voice format. And once again, making amazing music out of it. The entire album is really good. But as soon as I put it on, the very first track just absolutely floored me. And I'm gonna play it now, it's called Clean Kill. And I listened to it a few times and I realized he's talking about drone strikes. You know, this whole notion of this kind of heartless way in which we can just wipe people off the face of the earth.
2: From half a world away. From
1: half a world away. And there's sort of this clinical aspect to it where you're putting people away and you're describing it as a clean kill because there was very little uh, extra damage created. You got the target and you wiped out a few people and, and, you know, the job is done. So it's a disturbing song to listen to and at the same time really catchy. Kariki with a song called Clean Kill on Sound of Opinions. Reached out a cup. When the next she showed up, replacement asked you what That is Clean Kill from Karikis debut album, self-titled. Kariki from what I can tell, C-O-R-I-K-Y. It doesn't mean anything, but it <laughs> kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit. Okay. Uh, a new effort from Ian McKay and company, Joel Alley on bass and Amy Farina on drums.
2: Well, we share our Buried Treasures picks with each other. Just the song, no information, in advance so that we can weigh in and I can tell you when you got one wrong, which I will later. Um <laughs> You know, uh, but I didn't look it up, uh, and I just thought, wow, this is brilliant post-new wave pop, cool chorus. You know, <laughs> I yeah. had the era right, you know, 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did not know about the Fugazi connection. What What grabbed me was, uh, I now know the drummer's name, Amy Farina, that sort of clicky-clack Rhythm, I think she's playing on the rims of of the drums, um, which kind of evokes for me the counting of the digital clock Mm. as this drone uh, zeroes in to destroy a small village uh, controlled by a soldier with a joystick. Yeah. in an air-conditioned office right. uh, half a world away. It, it's a great song, and uh, eh, Ian McKay still got it. <laughs> he still does. You know, as our listeners know, you and I don't know everything, Greg. We never claim to, and we love hearing from colleagues to find out what they're listening to, buried treasures they're excited about. We are going to turn to one of my favorite critics in America today, Amanda Petrasich of The New Yorker.
0: Hey guys, this is Amanda Petrusich from The New Yorker. I, I'm cheating just a little bit with my pick from Buried Treasure. It's an old recording, but Mississippi Records just reissued a new compilation of this artist's work, so I think it still fits the criteria. The song is Brother of Theotis Taylor's If I Could Just Hold Out Till Tomorrow. He's a gospel singer from Georgia who turned 92 this year and his voice has a little Sam Cook in it, maybe a little bit of the Reverend Al Green, but mostly it's just so suffused with hope and joy and it has been an enormous help for me in terms of getting through this very tough year. I really hope you guys dig it.
2: That is a buried treasure pick from Amanda Petrasich, brother Theotis Taylor, a reissue out now via Mississippi Records, if I could just hold out till tomorrow. Great pick, great writer. Thank you, Amanda. You could always count on Amanda to come up with something great. If you've got an album that we need to hear, A Real Buried Treasure, please tell us on Facebook or Twitter. After a break, Greg and I will dig up some more buried treasure picks. Uh, That is all coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago and distributed by PRX.
0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, the brewers of Next Coast IPA, 312 Urban Wheat Ale, and Bourbon County Stout. Pairing beer and music since 1988, they believe it's always best to listen critically and enjoy responsibly. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're going through some of our recent favorite records that haven't gotten as much attention as we think they should. We have one more guest pick. This one's coming from music journalist and author Corbin Reef. His new book, "Total Effin' Godhead," about Chris <laughs> Cornell, is out now.
5: Hi, Jim and Greg. My pick for buried treasure is Jeff Rosenstock's new album, "No Dream." Um, Jeff Rosenstock is an indie power punk artist from Long Island who has put out a lot of great albums recently. The most his one before this post was fantastic, but "No Dream" might be even better. It's a an aggressive, hooky. Punk rock infused album with a lot of jams, um, a lot of different disparate influences thrown in there. It really keeps your attention. But what I love about it most is the way that he addresses a lot of current relevant issues that a lot of people are feeling in this country and beyond right now, you know, feeling of insignificance, feeling of, you know, what are we going to do about all this is that, that it's happening? There's a song Scram on there that I really, really love. And then he says, I've been told for most of my life, try to see the other side by people who have never tried to see the other side. You know things like that motifs like that really resonated with me but they don't he doesn't wallow in them he doesn't wallow in the state of you know what things are he kind of whenever i throw it on i, I want to throw my fist in the air and just say yeah you know we can do this we can get out of this situation and in a year where there's a little lot of despair it's been nice to return to this album over and over again and find a little bit of hope in all the darkness can't recommend it enough and i hope you guys enjoy it i've been told for most my life wait until the perfect
1: Uh, Jeff Rosenstock with a song called Scram. That is Corbin Reeve's uh, contribution to the Buried Treasures. Thanks so much, Corbin, for playing along with us on Sound Opinions. It is my turn again, Mr. Cott, and I am going with uh, a song that
2: pushes all my buttons. Stacy is a Toronto-based singer-songwriter, S-T-A-C-E-Y, that's all she goes by, who loves psychedelic pop. Uh, She loves psychedelic pop so much that uh, this song, the second single from an album that's coming out soon called Saturn Return, is called DMT. DMT, of course, Mm -hmm. is the most powerful psychedelic known to human (laughs) beings. It's not like LSD or psilocybin where you sign up for 24 hours and then recover for a week. No, you go there, you come back, and you meet, according to the great late psychedelic uh, philosopher Terence McKenna, the elves that run the machinery at the center of the universe. I've always wanted to meet the elves. I've never personally had that pleasure. There's a lot to talk about with this uh, music above and beyond uh, the psychedelic theme, Laurel Canyon. We have used that genre description, which never really was a genre description until last year or so, uh, dozens of times this year. This is the year... When that period in Los Angeles, just post-67, through the early 70s, singer-songwriters are tuning in, turning on, dropping out. You have love, and you have the birds, and you have Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, and many other artists uh, bubbling under. People are really loving, I guess it really started with Lana Del Rey on her last album, Uh, but people have been embracing that sound and then taking it in new directions, and that is what I think Stacey is doing here. Uh, I'm eager to what you think of this but this is a DMT by Stacy on Sound Opinions
4: i, ran into jungle, I was one.
2: Other most famous song in rock history about that drug is uh, "Fire Engine" by the Thirteenth Floor Elevators, in which
1: Rocky Erickson sings, "I want to take you to DMT place <laughs> in my fire engine." Just a little trivia there. I'm telling you, you gotta if you name a song after a hallucinogenic, you better you better deliver the goods. And I, I would say she did on this song, so I I, I dig it too. All
2: right, and and apparently, and she's got a wonderful video out there. Search it out that she made with a green screen and all sorts of home drawn doodles and, and and found footage, <laughs> uh, you know,
1: because she's in, in isolation like everybody else. Yes, indeed. And uh, my final pick, uh, Barry Treasure, uh, is a longtime uh, Detroit artist, a mainstay of that scene uh, in, in terms of just uh, how prolific he's been and, and playing with his friends. I mean, the, the man has been making records for about 20 years now, I believe, uh, has had a string of them. About every two or three years, he puts a new one out. Uh, has started a, a project in recent years called Nick Pionte and the Complicated Men. Uh, so it's, it, you know, it's it's a bunch of guys who have been playing rock music for a long time. They love what they love. They love that jangle. They love those riffs. They love they love hooks. They love harmonies. Uh, you could call it power pop. You know. Mm. Uh, I'm hearing a little bit of another Detroit native, uh, Marshall Crenshaw. You know, a little bit of that first Marshall Crenshaw record I hear seeping into this sound. Uh, this is a track from the latest Nick Piante record. The name of the album is called Downtime, and the track is called Upper Hand on Sound Opinions. I feel for you on a slippery slope
5: I- We
2: would make it for miles without missing a beat, or faking a smile. You
5: took me somewhere that I never.
1: And the complicated men with a track called Upper Hand on Sound Opinions. Yeah, Greg, this is the
2: one I can't go with you
1: on. I, you know, I listened to this. And Too I listen, conventional?
2: I listened two or three times. No, what it reminded me is at the height of the power pop movement in Hoboken, New Jersey, in like 85, 86. This was every
1: bad band uh, <laughs> at the bottom of the bill opening for the DBs or, or the bongos. Yeah, but this is a. I thought the hooks on this song were just inescapable. I, I, I thought the melody was really strong. I didn't realize there were hooks. <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, you know, my, my, again, my uh, criterion there is if the song keeps popping back into my head, like I was mentioning with the cocktail slippers, you know, yeah. I can't get the song out of my head. Yeah. This was one of those songs that kept popping. I go, that's a good song. You Man, know? What do I know? Everybody's a critic. <laughs> Yes, indeed, and that's a great thing. Uh, If you've got an album that's flying under the radar, you be the critic and tell us what we should hear. Uh, Let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, the fight to save America's music venues. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago and distributed by PRX. Sound Opinions is supported by Dark Matter Coffee, an innovative culinary family fueled by community and passion to deliver the most intellectually honest coffee one can experience. Dark Matter Coffee believes in traceability, innovation, and social responsibility, a difference you can taste in every cup. Visit darkmattercoffee.com to experience our coffee selections or find a retail location near you. Dark Matter Coffee, get freshly roasted. Sound
2: Opinions is supported by Raycon Earbuds. Whether you're working from home or working out, you'll want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your roommate, your spouse, or your podcast partner is listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of bucks on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best yet, with six hours of playtime, Seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com soundops. That's buyraycon.com soundops for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com soundops. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week, Greg, we are instituting a segment that uh, we'll have from time to time, Sound Opinions Reports, doing some in-depth reporting in particular this week, I think, on one of the most important stories either you or I have ever covered as music journalists, the state of live music in this country. In particular, the independent club scene, which is currently on life support, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, David Brooks, a friend of mine, Billboard's ace concert industry reporter, had a horrifying piece recently that 90% of the venues close now may close permanently by the end of the year without some form of assistance, and that given the difficulties of running these clubs in
1: normal times, they are not likely to ever be replaced. We have no end game in sight here for the clubs. Uh, You know, people are hoping in 2021, but it's possible it may not even be then, right? I mean, we don't know when conditions will allow the clubs to reopen. Now, you've been doing a ton of reporting on this, uh, beginning with your New Yorker piece back in May, Jim, about the effect of COVID on the clubs. What did you learn back then? You know, Greg, uh, when I wrote that piece in early May,
2: Clubs across the country were just starting to band together, seeking some sort of relief targeted specifically at the live entertainment business. And not just music venues, but comedy clubs and theaters, ranging from those storefront theaters to to Broadway. At that point, I was incredibly naive mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and something that usually doesn't happen to me as a reporter. I actually thought music venues might be able to reopen uh, soon at that point, after first closing in mid-March by instituting social distancing, mandatory masks, and and other safety measures. Um, I was absolutely wrong. Greg, we're recording this in uh, in early September. I turned to one of the top infectious disease experts in the country Dr. Emily Landon uh, from the University of Chicago and asked uh, you know this question when <laughs> when do you think we're going to be able to enjoy live music together again
0: Unfortunately I think the best place to gather to listen to music in the coming days is going to be outside as we sort of start with the vaccine and get things underway but by the time the vaccine's really getting out to people which I think at the earliest is going to be January-ish. That's not going to be a great time to be outside because if these vaccines are only maybe 50-60% effective, then you really are going to still need masks and distance to make up the difference between the vaccine and, you know, sort of complete immunity. I think next summer we're going to see a lot of outdoor bands and activities and concerts.
2: Okay, so you, you as a classical fan, you're thinking you can go to Millennium Park next summer and see the Grand Park Orchestra. We can go to Union Park and maybe see Pitchfork. They'll look different, but that's maybe in our future.
0: I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, it may not be quite the same. I think picnics where you can keep distance might be acceptable, but especially if you're going to be crowded around, then... Masks are are necessary. So outside, I kind of think of it as masks or distance, but inside you really need masks and distance, especially while we're sorting out what the effects of ventilation are. And like I know everything about the ventilation in my hospital, but the majority of buildings are created to recirculate air so that we can be more efficient with our heating and cooling. And that is not awesome for spreading viruses. I think it's going to be real tough. I think we're going to need that that sort of masking and distance on the inside, and that's going to be tough for concerts.
1: You know, it's interesting what the doctor is saying about the conditions under which we would have to see live music uh, in the post-COVID or near post-COVID era uh, as we're dealing with vaccines and masking and social distancing still. Uh, you know, that just doesn't make sense for a lot of clubs and theaters. If you're going to see a rock show uh, maintaining social distancing. The whole thing is about being excited about the music and massing together and, and, and viewing it as a community. And to sort of keep that spacing, uh, seems very antithetical to the whole idea of having that common experience in a club with a great band or a great artist. Now, there's also a, an economic, uh, side to this as well, right, Jim? You know, absolutely, Greg, uh, Audrey
2: Fix Schaefer, who works uh, publicity for some of the best venues in America, the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., and uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion in, uh, in Maryland, um, you know, she is saying that the only thing worse than being closed as a music venue, whether it's 150 or several thousand capacity, is only being able to open at 25%. The economics aren't there.
3: The only thing worse than being completely shuttered is opening up at 25%. Mm. And that's because it costs so much money to open up and to staff. And you are not going to get a sliding scale on your rent at 25%. And you don't get the bands to play at 25%. And you can't, you know, nobody would want to ask a patron to pay four times as much and really the the economics of it so much are to to get as many people into a room as the fire marshal allows and hopefully they go to the bar a lot
5: and um
3: so you can't have people drink four times as much either so the, the the economics of it are bad
2: you know, at this point in early September, Greg, uh, all the club owners I've spoken to, coast to coast, say they have no idea when they'll be able to reopen at anything resembling uh, the way they used to present music, and that is that is absolutely heartbreaking. And you can hear that in Katie Tutton's voice. She is one of the co-owners of The Hideout, a small club in Chicago, 150 capacity. It's just, uh, she's hurting uh, for the music community, for her her own business, for the staff, for the musicians.
4: I believe that we probably won't be open until the summer of 2021, but that's simply a guesstimate. Um, Uncertainty really is our enemy here. We are unclear as to when we will be able to open. So here we are. And how many
2: people is that at the hideout that have been without work since, uh, since March?
4: 34. Wow. 34 people, many of which are, uh, musicians as well. So it's a double whammy for them. Many of the employees at the hideout also work at other music venues. We share sound engineers and such. So this is really hurting our staff immensely. We have kept uh, two people, our manager and our talent buyer, our programmer. but our other staff is now collecting unemployment, which is you know $400 a month in some cases.
1: I think it's clear that uh, we're in the world of uh, doubt and anxiety when it comes to the future of the clubs. They're all feeling it right now. We're on the precipice of a nuclear winter, you know, for the the music scene right now uh, in in the world and in America specifically. Now, there has been some action within our congressional leadership to help the clubs, uh, but not in a way that was effectively... Able to help the clubs, the payroll protection plan, for example, Jim uh, didn't really work out the way they had hoped, right? You no, know, that program offered some support, I think, to restaurants
2: and and businesses like that. It didn't really work for music venues because many of the employees, most of them, are part timers, um, you know. And since there is no plan to reopen, they couldn't begin serving some people outside the way that uh, restaurants, some restaurants, have been able to. Uh, many club owners were reluctant to take payroll protection program money because uh, they wouldn't be able to repay it. You know, you are only waived from repaying it if you show that you can hire back the people who lost their jobs because of the pandemic. Here's Audrey Fick Schaefer again.
3: Well, first of all, when you're completely shuttered and you can't hire your employees back no matter how much you would love to, that means that that program is not a grant. It's a debt burden, and which is the last thing that independent venues want right now is more debt because they don't know how to see through the other end to be able to pay it off. But when the pandemic hit, um, there was a handful of us independent venues that realized pretty quickly that there is absolutely no way to survive as a business when you have zero revenue, enormous overhead, and no federal support. And so we did what we've never done before, and, and that's come together. And within the first week, we had 350 venues, and uh, now we're actually up to about 2,800. And we're in every single wow. yeah, <laughs> about in wow. every single state and Washington D.C. And yeah. uh, it's because we share one thing, and that is that we have no way to survive without this federal help.
2: One of the things you have to understand about music venues, Greg, uh, certainly you and I do, I don't know if many of our listeners do, is that this is a ultra-competitive business Mm -hmm. filled with what might generously be described as dedicated individualists, Mm -hmm. um, people who have their own passion and don't see uh, anybody else in the world, really, besides the musicians that play their stages and, and the people who go to their clubs, on the surface... Uh, You know, it makes sense. A punk club in Madison, Wisconsin, and a hip-hop performance space in the Bronx would not seem to have much in common with a honky-tonk in Dallas. But from a purely economic business reporter level, the business model is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Thin margins, great challenges, and it has to be a labor of love to exist at all. Now, the problems that have been posed by the pandemic make it even harder than ever, and those problems are the same no matter what kind of venue you're talking about. Chicago, in particular, you and I have both done decades of reporting on this, was ahead of the curve in the venue owners here putting aside differences and banding together to begin to face business challenges posed by gentrification and onerous city laws. The fact that they were able to do that gave a model to a national organization. So the Chicago Independent Venue League, hey, this is a good idea, led to NEVA, the National Independent Venues Association, which at this point represents virtually every significant independent music venue from coast to coast. We turned one more time to Audrey Fick Schaefer, who is now the national spokeswoman for NEVA, the National Independent Venues Association.
3: I got a text from uh, Dana Frank from First Avenue.
2: The famous club in, in Minneapolis, Prince uh, Made Purple Rain. Yeah.
3: I had met her very quickly at a, a dinner, but then I get this text from her saying, Hey, um, you live in Washington, you must know some some lobbyists. If we don't go ask for federal help, we'll all fold. I looked at that text and I thought that's hysterical. That's like sending someone in LA a text. Hey, I've got this script. You know a movie star and a director, <laughs> don't you? I thought, oh, she's so cute. But as it turns out, I'm in DC and I do know a lobbyist or five, but she was able to get support for it because those, they don't come cheap. And uh, she was able to to round up a couple of people. And within a week or so, uh, an association was formed. And uh, here we are.
1: So this National Independent Venue Association didn't even exist at the start of the year. And now there's a couple of thousand of these, you know, infamously rogue entities (laughs) (laughs) that have decided to come together and work together for the first time in their history, probably, uh, to effect some change. How much have they been able to accomplish? Greg, I think that the venue owners
2: have been heard on Capitol Hill. They have raised their voices loud enough to get some attention when there are so many things vying for attention right now. Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat of Minnesota, got together with Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, to write what's being called the Save Our Stages Act. It would provide $10 billion in aid. Uh key parts of the legislation would enable the Small Business Administration to make grants for the lesser of these two amounts, either 45% of the operating costs from calendar year 2019 for small venues or $12 million for larger venues, um, specifically targeted in both cases to indies. We're not talking about the companies, the mega global corporations that put shows on in the giant arenas. We're talking about either small 150 capacity clubs or uh, theaters that have a capacity of several thousand. Here's Senator Amy Klobuchar again.
6: You've got these places like Moorhead, Minnesota uh, that have yes. this beautiful amphitheater. Literally, people were crying yesterday when I was there because this is so a big part of their community or of the Fargo Theater. Obviously, this is relevant to theaters as well. And I yes. think it gives people hope to think we can at least keep our act together through the pandemic, we know there's going to be another side so that we won't lose these venues and these places where new stars come up. Otherwise, yeah. not everyone is going to do a viral video. A lot right. of people get their start because they get fans and people come with them. And it's a sense of community. And we don't want to lose that. It's a huge business in America, too.
1: Well, there's usually a ton of legislation in front of any given senator or congressperson uh, at any given moment, Jim. Um You know, what are the chances of a bill like this actually getting passed, and where are the constituents, the music fans, and uh, what's their role in this been?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I was as skeptical as as you just uh, sounded, Um, you know, especially because we're at a time where Congress has been mired for weeks and weeks and weeks, unable to pass a second National Relief Act, giving, you know, extending unemployment, helping uh, working people across this country— um smartly, I think, uh, the senators who wrote the legislation, Klobuchar and Cornyn, uh, are looking at this as an economic uh, engine, right? Live music is a $9 billion uh, annual uh, revenue generator for this economy. I'm not even talking about comedy or theater. And 90% of those venues not reopening means that's a heck of a hit to the economy in the United States you and i wrote uh, more than a decade ago about a study from the university of chicago economics department not the most liberal <laughs> of thinkers okay that said that for every dollar spent at a live music venue 12 dollars is generated for the businesses surrounding that venue in the neighborhood other restaurants and bars and parking right so you know the, the senators are optimistic that if they look at this as business, um, you know this is this is an economic fact that we need to help these businesses, and that is giving them uh, reasons for optimism that there will be bipartisan support, um, not just because we all love music, but mm-hmm. because it makes business sense.
6: We actually have nine. Republican senators on the bill now, including the Republican senator from North Dakota. And it just goes to my argument that uh, we think of the big venues and the big cities sometimes and Broadway, which we could never want to lose. But it is also about all of these mid-sized and small towns across America. So um, I, I know I talked to Marco Rubio about this bill. He's very interested. I know Pitbull supports it. Uh, We've got uh, Elton John uh, mentioned the Troubadour in an interview recently. So this kind of support just isn't limited by party and it's not limited um, by state lines or even by country lines. And so one of the reasons we're getting more and more support is we are limiting it to make sure that it doesn't just go to big guys. Uh, Ticketmaster and Live Nation got a $500 million investment by the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Right. In the middle of the pandemic. Uh, that did not happen to the Moorhead, Minnesota, Blue Steb Amphitheater. All right. Right. So that's why I think it's really important that people understand we limited this bill so that it would help some of the smaller venues.
1: But what about the fans,
2: Jim? Well, you know, it's extraordinary. Katie Tutton, co-owner of The Hideout in Chicago, said that early on, uh, one of those Washington, D.C. lobbyists whispered in their ears that if they could get 50,000 messages to Congress, uh, that would be fantastic, unbelievable. There are now more than 1.8 million messages that music fans have sent their representatives saying, we need help for these venues. Here's Katie Tutton, co-owner of The Hideout, and a key mover in Civil, the Chicago Independent Venues League.
4: When we put out the call to action, 1.8 million people called in in support of us. And I think that the electeds are going to listen to their constituents, and I'm hopeful that they will. And I can tell by the conversations, you know, just as I had a conversation with you in the beginning, you know, I think people just thought, oh, this is only going to be a couple of months and you can survive this. I think now they realize that we are the hardest hit we're the first to close we will be the last to open and I think now it's kind of sinking in and I am very hopeful and optimistic but as our mutual friend Joe Shanahan would say support without action is meaningless so Joe
2: Joe, uh, runs the Metro in Chicago
4: yes Yes, and so I'm cautiously optimistic, I should say that.
2: You know, you may have seen this in the news, Greg. On August 18th, Senator Charles Schumer, the Democratic minority leader, held a press conference with James Murphy of LCD Sound System, (laughs) friend of Sound Opinions, and other musicians outside a Brooklyn venue called Baby's All Right to discuss this Save Our Stages legislation. And the senator made a pledge, in language, that reminded us that he is a New Yorker. He <laughs> said, I'll do everything I can to get this done, because it's
7: so effing important. This is our cultural heartland. Uh, this is how we breathe and live and feel, it. it's what makes Brooklyn special, it's what makes Albany and Syracuse special. And people have so many memories, as you asked me my memories. I'll give you an example. How I saw this was an interesting... I ride my bicycle all around Brooklyn. So there was something at a park called the Jelly Pool Concerts. And it it was like a live venue, but it was at a park. And I saw people lined up and hundreds and thousands of people, young people mainly, but of all different, you know, diverse backgrounds, and races and creeds and colors, coming in and enjoying each other. And then I realized, do you know, on that one day with two thousand people there, probably fifty friendships were made that will last a lifetime. And so they wanted to close the jelly pool park, you know, the parks department, as you said, our cities don't like this, some of the uh, And I kept them open. And actually Jay-Z and uh beyonce were there to greet me when they kept it open because they were they liked this and would come and hear the music not to perform just to listen so this is a
2: story we're going to stay on greg because uh, i can't uh, imagine one that is more important to the future of what we have covered on sound opinions for 15 years what are we going to be left with if we defeat this horrible virus and
1: and america's healthy again What kind of an America are we going to have? Absolutely, and it's the one thing we're looking forward to. I think uh, the most in some ways, when this ends, whenever it ends, we're going to get to see live music again. But will there be stages to have that live music? You know, I think uh, since Katie and Tim Tutton were instrumental in
2: starting uh, this drive to bring together the venues across America, she deserves the last word.
4: Imagine, if you will, you've had a really hard week at work and you have planned to go see one of your favorite bands on a Friday night. And that no longer is available to you. We are the heart and soul of communities. So we not only host musicians, we also host so many fundraisers, weddings, bar mitzvahs, etc. But imagine a life without music. It really is what connects us to each other are these venues and just the thought of them going away is unnerving because I think we bring great joy and happiness to people and I think uh when the vaccine is found that if people don't have these places in which to congregate because we have such a great hunger right now to be with people and to hear music and to have joy I think it just I think people will find it very difficult. Not just music, but theater and comedy and such. And I think if people really sat and thought about it, they would see that this is essential to their souls.
2: For more information on Save Our Stages and this whole story, you can visit saveourstages.com. And for the full interviews with the senators, we've got that up as extra content for our
1: Patreon members. What do we have next week? Jim, next week uh, we have a really cool interview, and I don't say this lightly, uh, with Yes's John Anderson. I mean, he's, his voice is exactly what you would expect from a man who created some amazing music from one of the greatest progressive rock bands of all time. A classic album dissection of Going For The One. You can
2: download the Sound Opinions podcast wherever you get such things. Thanks, as always, to our supporters on Patreon, Sound Opinions was produced by Andrew Gill and Alex
4: Flavor.